I'm Tavis Smiley, and I'm delighted to have you with us in this hour. And as promised in this hour, a conversation in a moment with Cedric the Entertainer. He is the first of the uh, Kings of Comedy to put out a novel. It's called Flipping Boxcars, uh, written by Cedric the Entertainer. Uh, his real name, as you probably know, is Cedric Kyles. So when you see the book, uh, for those who are, can see me right now, I'm holding it up. For those uh, who are watching us on, the, on YouTube, you can actually see uh, the uh, the cover of the cover of the book, uh, but uh, it's written by uh, by Cedric. It's called Flipping Boxcars, and we're going to get into that in this hour with Cedric. Um, let me uh, start though by playing one of my. I, l- I love this clip. <laughs> I mean, Cedric, I love this guy. He's he's hilarious. And he's had so many great uh, so many great stand up specials and um, uh, and of course touring all across the country. But this is an old classic, an old favorite of mine on Comic View. <laughs> tripping, man. Yeah, I was tripping off this the other day, too, you know, because, you know, black folks don't never be no part of a mass murder. You know, that ain't our thing, to get killed with a lot of other people, you know. <laughs> you know, and reason is because we learn how to run. We run, you know. You know, we talk a good game. But when everybody started running, bruh gonna run. Bruh ain't. If somebody got up in this room right now and took off running, about nine people be like, See, cause we run, dog. We don't, we don't be, we don't ask no questions why we running. We don't need to know the reason we running. It ain't, you know, it, it, you know, it obviously that ain't none of our business what's going on back there. So once we stop running, I will ask somebody what we was running about. See, that white folk need to know, don't, don't they? Jesus, what's going on back here? Jesus. Oh, Jimmy, gosh darn it! Jesus Christ! Why didn't anybody tell me? You saw us running. You know, that one thing about us, we would take all running. You don't have to make no announcement. Nobody get up, yell, hey, dog, we gonna run. Nope. You be in the middle of conversation, let somebody run, you a break out, maybe. Yeah, so Keith Nill. Damn, dog, you scared me, man. I thought somebody was coming. It's a classic clip. <laughs> From Cedric back in the day on Comic View. Cedric the Entertainer, how are you, my friend? What's up, Tavis? What up, brother? How you doing? <laughs> Man, I'm doing the best I can. If I complained, I'd be an ingrate. I am doing well and uh, always delighted, of course, to spend some time spend some time with you. When you hear your stuff from all those years ago, what do you hear? Man, you know, I mean, you hear the, the just the real authenticity in the culture, like, it's such a culturally strong joke that it still works to this day. That's what I was listening to. I was like, that joke is still range true. <laughs> no, it, it, it does still work because it because it's true. I, I find I find that when you when you tell jokes and you tell stories that, that are based in truth, uh, and to your point that are culturally relevant, they, they they last for a long time. So it's just as funny now as it was thirty years ago. 
Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it almost applies to the Montgomery Brawl. It's almost the same joke. <laughs> like, <it's> like this. <laughs> I, I had thought about it in that way, but yeah. But in that in that case, though, they were running to a fight. They weren't running yeah, away yeah, from it. Yeah, but yeah, but it didn't take that for some people to get up and start running toward it. And you'd be like, yeah, there we go. <laughs> I take your point. I take your point. Um, let, let me start by saying we had a guest on in the last hour. Uh, and she told a funny story about her father, who happened to be a Kappa. I say that because I am a Kappa, and Cedric is a Kappa, and we're going to have to redeem the Kappas in this hour. And what I mean by that, Cedric, oh. is simply that we got to redeem the Kappas. So the, our guest in the last hour um, is uh, the great-granddaughter of Booker T. Washington. Um, oh, she's wow. Booker T.'s great-granddaughter, and her mother and father had a rocky relationship didn't quite get along. Her father became an alcoholic. Uh, and she said that my father, Tabish, graduated from Texas Southern Law School, uh, but he didn't pass the bar. And he said he didn't pass it because he was facing discrimination and prejudice, and he started drinking. And she said my mother would say, no, uh, it ain't about not passing the bar. You couldn't pass a bar. <laughs> That's the problem, that you could not pass <laughs> That you could not pass a bar. And I said, ooh. And she said, my dad was a Kappa. I said, no, 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 no. You ain't supposed to say that. You ain't got to say that because yeah. I'm a Kappa. You ain't got to put that out there. So anyway, you and I, we have to redeem the Kappas in this hour with a, with a great conversation uh, about yes, your indeed. career. And I'm excited to have Cedric the Entertainer on this program. When we come forward, we'll jump right into uh, a conversation, a career conversation. In fact, this brother's done so much. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Cedric and I have known each other for like, what, 25, 30 years now. And... It's a beautiful thing when you see somebody who you love and you respect and you know has the, 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 the requisite uh, uh, talent uh, and gift to do what they need to do. It's a beautiful thing to actually see them succeed. And for a long time, you know, I, I was praying for Cedric because, you know, some of these other comedians were getting shows and this, that and the other. And Cedric, it, 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 he was working. Don't get me wrong now. The brother ain't never stopped working. But I kept rooting for him and pushing for him to finally come into his own. And when I tell you this Negro has come into his own, I mean, with TV shows, multiple TV shows and producing other shows and now writing books and kings of comedy, he has come into his own. And I'm happy about it, uh, not just because he's a cab, but because he's my friend and my brother. And I'm delighted to have him on this program for the hour uh, for a career conversation to get into this novel, Flipping Boxcars. We'll do all that when we come forward with Cedric the Entertainer on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. Our guest in this hour is Cedric the Entertainer. We're out with a novel called Flipping Boxcars, which we'll get to in this hour. Glad I've got him for the hour. Um, so, Cedric, you heard me say a moment ago um, that I was, um, you know, for all these years, I've been, you know, pulling for you, of course, as my friend and brother, um, to, uh, to, to, to see you come into your own because I knew obviously that you had all the all the talent you needed to sort of make this happen. Let me just start with a broad question of of, of how you would define um, the comedic journey that you've been on. You know, I guess you know for me it's it's felt like a pretty upward trajectory. I've always kind of felt like I went you know that you know from the very beginning, especially coming from St. Louis, you don't have a lot of expectations of. Uh, really where you're going. You have, you know, a desire, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you know, as a stand-up, but not necessarily seeing where it goes. And so it, it, all, most of my career went, you know, went up each year, and then you get to, 
uh, you know, you get to those areas in the mid to, um, I would say, kind of in the early 2000s. It starts to slow down a little bit, but then it took right off King to Comedy. Mm-hmm. And then right after that, we go into another lull. And But but for the most part, man, I, I've been feeling pretty good. I mean, you just have those, the ebb and flow of any business, so you know. So yeah. it's never been one that I've been, I've been completely felt like I was let, I was outside the door, if you will. Yeah. What What, what was it like for you growing up in St. Louis? Uh, you know, St. Louis was a single parent household. My mom was a school teacher. I had my younger sister. Uh, we lived like uh, I, I would say fairly middle class, man. We had a, you know, we had a nice house in the suburbs. Uh, I had a good group of friends, lived in a, you know, predominantly black neighborhood, but that, that had that middle class kind of mobility to it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and uh, went to, uh, you know, went to a school where, again, a large group of friends, you know, every everybody, most of them went to college either playing football or, or for other reasons. And so I felt like that was, a you know, it, it, it felt, to go back, it feels pretty idealist, idyllic as a, as an energy, as a neighborhood, like mm-hmm. you would think of, this was this is America, if you will. Mm-hmm. Other than not having like the dad at the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to your point, um, other than not having the dad at the house, you said that so so simply and so smoothly. But for a lot of people, that that informs. I mean, not 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 for a lot of people, everybody. Uh, not having a dad in the house informs your life in some ways, and that answer is different for everybody. But how did not having a dad, um, you think, inform? How has it informed your journey? You know, I think you know. For the most part, it was is one that you 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 have to you know get up and go to work. You got to get up and get it done. I felt like the man of the house mm-hmm. at a pretty young age. You know, like I felt like I was that person. Not that my mother required me to get a job, but I definitely was the responsible one to make sure the house was locked up at night, to make sure the cars got cleaned or the trash was taken out. Mm-hmm. Like the things that, you know, make sure I, you know, I learned how to fix a few things around the house. Like these were things that kind of were requirements that my mother insisted on, like being a part of, you know, me being there. Uh, but I also felt like it, you know, it kind of had that driven determination uh, to be, you know, a provider, like a person that felt like that was my job, you know, for my kids mm-hmm. and and my family. Uh, you know, I did that deal with this, uh, you know, you know, a long time of not feeling like I was necessarily an adequate father mm-hmm. early on because I didn't really have a model to follow. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that is one that I, you know, I often, you know, you have to you know, ask my kids, how am I doing? You know, so, yeah, I just check in. Like, hey, y'all good? Like, hey, yo, am I the daddy that y'all think I should be? Or what's going on? I want to come back. I want to come back to that just a second about your about your fatherhood journey. Were you ever, and uh, I just want to question right quick about this. Were you ever angry? I mean, I've, I've never known you to be, I've never seen you to be angry. But were you ever angry about your father not being there? Like, how did you, how did you oh. process that he wasn't there? Oh, for sure. I mean, definitely as a young man, you know, I, I was quite angry. You know, I think that, you know, and that led to all of the the thing that young men do, you know, the the idea of thinking you're a street dude for a while, you know, getting off into the, with the wrong crowd, you know, doing it, doing it, doing it all wrong, man, because you're trying to figure out, again, these definitions that really come from manhood from your peer group, right, mm-hmm. which is what we have a lot in our society now is that, 
young men are led by other young men who define manhood by nonsense. They don't know, don't have no real like guidance there, and so it is all machoism. It is all bravado, and it's all you know, kind of at the again at the at the the targeting of other young black people, and we hurt ourselves because we don't know no better. And I definitely was on that path until you know it just. It just didn't make sense for me. I, you know, I had, I had a few of those kind of church mentors and a couple of people that were bold enough to to step in and, and help you make a choice. But I don't think we engage with our youth enough anymore. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially beyond our households. And so, I think that that's really important that um, uh, that you know, eventually, I was able to kind of get rid of that anger. Now, my, me and my dad. I, I got cool with him once I start having real relationships. I tell people this story because you kind of blame, you know, the fathers for the relationships a lot of times, mm-hmm. and when they're not with their moms or you're with your moms. But once I start dating and having real relationships and find out how hard they are and what that communication is like, and I was like 22, 22, I, I realized like, oh, my dad was young when he had me, and this was, was what was going on. Like he wasn't ready for this, mm-hmm. and I was then I was and then I was ready to kind of like, all right, let's go and have a conversation, and we end up you know developing a greater friendship bound you know kind of communication mm-hmm. that allowed us to be in each other's lives for many you know like even to this day like we're we're you know but it, but when I was in my teens man I I was cruel to him almost you yeah. know what I mean because yeah. he thought you so right yeah how how, how did not having uh, let me just back up. I, I have known you so long um, that I knew you before you and Lorna got married, as you know, knew you before you had kids. Uh, and so we, we've been at this for a long time. Uh, and think, speaking of Lorna, I, I was just trying to do the math yesterday, thinking about this conversation today. And you and Lorna have been married almost 25 years now? Yeah, it's 24, 24, September 3rd. So man, we, that's man. <laughs> yeah, I got I got to talk about that too because you know that don't happen in Hollywood, man. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, don't hurt. <laughs> yeah, that, that people stay together that long. We go, we're gonna get to that too, and, and and give Lorna some love for putting up with you for almost twenty five oh, years. We'll talk about that. But 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 how did how when you when you and Lorna got together and started and started you know, your own family, how did you not having a father uh, all those years inform your notions of fatherhood? How how are you wrestling with the kind of father you wanted to be? I think you know the key. The key thing is that you knew that you wanted to be there. Like I did, I did, I did know that the thing that I felt most about it, especially I had a between you know Lorna and I. I had a son first. I did have an older daughter. I got an older daughter, uh, Tiara. That's you know from just a previous relationship. Sure. But from Lorna and I, you know, I had a son first, and that was one of the things that made the most sense to me. Was like knowing that I got this boy. And that he's going to want to live, he's going to need, like, some manhood shit to guide him. So, mm-hmm. and so I think that was the biggest thing. And, and then just trying to, you know, stay stay involved, stay focused. Now, you know, again, career was popping off. Career was starting to really blow. So you start to spend a lot of time away from the house. And, you know, that kind of informed a lot of my choices, like, you know, as far as, uh, you know, the type of business I want to be in. Because I was doing movies that were sending me out of the country for long periods of time. And when the kids were when they were little, they mm-hmm. could come. When they started to get their own schedules, they couldn't come. And that was, that was allowing me to have way too many gaps 
in their life where mm-hmm. I was around and present, and that's what when I re- elected to do television. Yeah, yeah. And 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 looking back on that decision, what do you make of it? Was it was it the right decision? Oh man, it was so it was such a proper decision. I think that you know one that you know you, you know your ego can get in the way because being a movie star, especially back then was clearly the bigger thing. And I, you know, I've done the Johnson Family Vacations mm-hmm. and the Barbershop series going, and, and I was like, boom. But then all of these movies shot other places. None of them shot in L.A. Mm-hmm. And so, and you start to think about, you know, like, okay, when I, but now that I'm here and I see my kids grow, you know, as a young adults, and we have this really unique bond, this small language with each other, this, these inside jokes that would just belong to us, you know, mm-hmm. our, our kids, not even, and you know, you go like, man, that's priceless. Like I could not even, you know, I couldn't imagine not being like this close to my, my kids where they can call me and say these kind of things and, and we can, you know, I can be there to guide them and, and, not, and no, it's not just all on the mom, you know, they got, yeah. they, they got their own language, you know, but, you know, but, but as their dad, they know who their dad is for them. Yep. So you and I, you, you and Lauren and I were hanging out at the, at the Maxwell concert a week or so ago here in L.A., uh, and we got a chance to catch up. I hadn't seen Lauren in a while, and she's just as gorgeous as ever, for starters. Uh, but I hadn't, hadn't seen her in a minute. Uh, and I started thinking then, I said, man, I, I was around when, 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 when Cedric and Lauren got married, and that's when I started doing the math. So to your point, it's been 24 years already. You push it up on 25 years uh, of, uh, of marriage to Lorna. And I, I guess the question is, what's, what, what's the secret? What's the trick? Man, you know, I mean, you know, anybody knows that. <laughs> That's it. It's a trick, dog. <laughs> yeah. Ah, got you. No. <laughs> that is, you know, that was you gonna look up and be like, ah, oh, you, you fuckers. No, I'll be like, no, but yeah. you know, the thing, the thing is, it, it really is about you know. Keeping the other person as the object of your affection, man. You got to kind of really like work hard at, and and stay true to knowing that you, your job is to make sure that 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 your mate mm. is the object of your affection. You work hard at that. You 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 know again you have the ebbs and flows of, of, of what life is and what it offers, but ultimately your your love and commitment to to them is. Is it's got to be reciprocated by what they feel for you, and then y'all taking care of each other, and therefore you not being selfish. Where yeah. it's got to be about I take care of myself, and then you take care of yourself. I'm taking care of you, you take care of me. We good, and so that's kind of how we try to operate. Yeah, um, I, I'm not sure that the divorce rate in Hollywood is any worse than the divorce rate in the country. We we are uh, a country that that loves divorce apparently. Um, but, but, but I'm curious as to whether or not you think that Hollywood puts a, a particular kind of pressure on marriages or is that, or is that, am I reading too much into it? No, man, I think so. I mean, you know, it is a very, it's a very, you know, especially the more we kind of grew into this social media age, it's just so many eyeballs inside and so many opinions and so, so easily to be distracted, uh, inside one's relationship that that you know it is hard because you know you have you have the desire of uh, of either presenting that you're this idealistic couple and that's important to have this imagery and I mean we kind of seen it in the last couple of weeks it's been more 
you know, kind of people filing for divorce in the last couple of weeks than I'd seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and even <laughs> I told my wife, this was early in the summer with Bezos and and, and, and Gates mm-hmm. and all these big billionaires have <laughs> been divorced. I was told, us, don't you get no ideas. Now, yeah. this, we ain't got that kind of money. We still, we both going to have apartments if we break up. <laughs> it ain't going to be no keep the house. We going to both be <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I remember that moment though. For a moment, you're right. Everybody, I mean, I mean these stories—they they were just like every other day. You're like, "What? They broke up, and they broke up, yeah. and they broke up." Uh, but, but, yeah. but, but I think a lot of that though. I mean, I, I've talked to—I've talked to psychologists about this. I said a lot of that was the pandemic. When you're in a pandemic, yeah, and you can't go nowhere, either, either yeah. you, you're gonna discover one or two things that you really do love this person. Or this person has messed up your whole life. And you gotta discover one of the two things, man. If you can't go nowhere, you can't leave the house. I tell I tell people that 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 you know the if you don't if if you're not in a pandemic, just go on a seven day cruise. You'll have the same experience. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have the same you'll know you'll know immediately. It's the same experience. <laughs> I, I I never thought about it that way, but yeah, that's those are some tight quarters, man. Seven day cruise, you can't go nowhere. It's a <laughs> man, you sitting, you eat lunch, dinner every second with this person. You like, ah, right, you know what? This ain't gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I guess uh if you really want to test your relationship, yeah. you can try the set. You can try the setting the entertainer model. Just take a seven day cruise if yeah. you really you want to wait. <laughs> You gotta wait for the thirty-year pandemic. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, you want to test your relationship? Take a take a seven-day cruise. Says Shady the Entertainer. You'll discover whether or not it's it's uh it's built it's for the long fun. haul. Yeah, whether it's built for the long haul. Uh, I'm glad I've got him for the full hour. We got another half hour to go, and in that half hour, I tell you what I want to talk about. We're going to talk about his new book. It's called Flipping Box Cars. I'm going to uh, uh, tell you what it's about. Uh, and let Cedric explain uh, why he wrote it and uh, why now in his career. This is the first novel to be written by any of the kings of comedy. Uh, speaking of kings of comedy, we haven't talked about that. I want to get his reflections on that. I, I know this, and I, I, I know Cedric feels the same way. I still miss Bernie Mac. Man, I miss Bernie Mac in ways I can't even describe. But we'll talk about um, these years past the kings of comedy and what he thinks looking back at that moment and how all four of these guys just became sort of iconic uh, in, that, in, that, in that moment. We'll talk about the Kings of Comedy. We'll talk about, of course, his TV work, his TV show, hit TV show. Uh, and we'll talk about uh, Barbecue uh, and his new business. Uh, Cedric is yep. a busy brother, a whole lot going on. And so I'm delighted that he found time in his busy schedule to give us a full hour for this career conversation. You're listening to Cedric the Entertainer on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Right now. So Cedric the Entertainer is the first of the kings of comedy to put out a novel. Let me tell you about the book. We'll get to it uh, moments from now. But let me just tell you what this novel is about. Babe is a charismatic and widely loved man, a gambler with a gift for gab that often gets him out of tricky situations. He's also a dreamer, something he shares with his patient and loving wife, Rosie. They both yearn for financial stability, and they see the land they own as insurance for future generations. But when Babe 
and a few comrades enlist in a scheme that improbably falls apart, he endangers the little security the family has. On the verge of losing everything, what is a family man to do? If you're a gambler like Babe, you double down and you risk it all for one big score. This time, though, a plan involving railroad boxcars. Will Babe succeed? Will Rosie continue to support her husband? Are the feds on to Babe's make-or-break scheme? The book called Flipping Boxcars is Cedric the Entertainer at his most engaging. It's a charming, fast-paced novel that pays homage to his beloved grandfather and a generation past. Uh, we'll talk about that book as we move through the rest of this hour, but that's what the book is about. It's the first novel from one of the kings of comedy. It's called Flipping Box Cars. It's written by our guest in this hour, Cedric Kyles, better known as Cedric the Entertainer, who I'm delighted to have uh, on this program. Speaking of the kings of comedy, Cedric, I was, uh, again, looking uh, in preparation for this conversation. That film came out, the film came out in 2000, 23 years ago. Every time I see it, I laugh like I ain't never heard the jokes because it's still that hilarious uh, all these years later. But when you look back 23 years ago to the filming of that comedic classic, The Kings of Comedy, you think what? Man, I mean, it, it just at the time it felt like such a, you know, iconic rock star moment. Like, you know, we were we were all like, you know, feeling really good as individual comedians. The tour was killing. We were out doing arenas, like just really shocked by the love and the, and you know, for any of us that started in comedy, comedy clubs, traveling across the country, driving to do shows, to be at the point where you're doing arenas with 15, 20,000 people packed in, selling it out twice, it was just, it was surreal, man, and so it just was a time where, and then you, you know, you're out on tour with your boys, you're laughing, you're having a good time afterwards, all of it just was like, it just was like one of those, you know, kind of really perfect synergistic moments where we just kind of, you know, when I think about it, it's just fondly, you're just like, oh man, what a blast. Yeah. I mentioned Bernie, uh, who I miss, I know you miss him as well, Bernie's been gone, believe it or not, 15 years these as 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 I get older, man, these these dates keep slipping, 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 and it's hard yeah. to believe that Bernie's been gone fifteen years. When you think about Bernie's enduring legacy, um, you think what, Cedric? You know, that's what I mean. It's really one of those things where I love the fact that his spirit really resides in our community, and as you know, one of the great comedians. I mean, his you know his his career. You know, got it, it has a, a a window. Like people in Chicago knew Bernie for many, many years, but for the most of us, you know, it was from Kings of Comedy through the Bernie Mac TV show, mm -hmm. and then he started doing those movies where people like really kind of locked in. So that's really a short period of time where he was able to solidify himself as one of the greats. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I really love is that you know that people still even to this day. Sometimes they even confuse me for him. They like mm. I'll be like seeing people see me walking down and they go, Bernie Mac and I'll be like, Whoa, okay. You know. <laughs> not exactly. One, I wish I I wish I was that tall. Yeah. I'm not that tall. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not me, bruh. 
No, I, I, I missed I miss that, dude. And you're right. In Chicago, they, they were loving Bernie years for the rest of us got to know who Bernie was. Um, but yeah. uh, no, I, I miss him dearly, miss him dearly. Uh, let me just ask one or two quick questions about this. I want to get to this book here and, and all your other business enterprises, the barbecue and other stuff that you're doing. Um, obviously, this is uh, we were talking about this in the first hour of today's program. This program is three hours long every day. In our first hour, we were talking about the summer of strikes. Everybody's on strike. Uh, and yeah. obviously your business is on strike. Uh, you have a hit TV show that, it, that that's, uh, it's on hold right now, as everything else in this town is, uh, because yeah. of the strike. Uh, given that you are a, uh, a strong member uh, of, 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 of SAG, um, your, your thoughts quickly on, on the strike that your industry is going through right now. Yeah, man, you know, it's really tough, because I'm a member of both guilds. I'm a writer, too, so I'm in the WGA, which started the strike. Right. And then, you know, the actors kind of supported them, so... You know, the main thing is that we just live in a town like like where you kind of said, you said it right now, labor in general is fighting back against big business, big corporations who have taken the, you know, in, in our in our world seems to just take the, the position that the money is the most important thing and not the people and not the what it takes to get the business done. And that's really what's, you know, kind of the basis of what the strike is about. It's like those who create, those who are part of it, we have to participate in the business as we are as we are a partner, not as you know, I'm a hired gun and then you go ahead and finish the finish the task and all the money is shared with the people up top. And so that's what's really I think is the thing, of course, AI is this, this is technology is something that will never be put back in the bag in our in our we just have to figure out our way through it we have to understand that people should should own their images and their likeness and their essence and you cannot just come and shoot uh, come in and I, I shoot one day and you own that mm-hmm. for the rest of in perpetuity mm-hmm. it's just unfair and it's rude and it's not right and these are the kind of things that you got to stand up for. And it's kind of like a get that in labor all around, man. And so, you know, you see the auto industry, you saw the airlines, you see the hotel people. Like, everybody's like, look, man, it's just like we, we're here to do a job, and we do our job. And, you know, just don't treat us like we just everybody at the bottom of the totem pole because we don't wear suits and ties all the time. No, it's a, it's a, it's a powerful statement. I thank you for sharing that. Um, didn't want to stay with it too long, but it, it's impossible to have someone of your stature in this industry on the program and not ask about it, particularly given uh, that you made a choice to, you know, to leave movies and to, and to go into television. But you've done it all. Uh, and not just that, but also exec producing. So Cedric is actually on both sides of this. He's an exec yeah. producer of uh, his hit show, The Neighborhood, uh, also exec producing the greatest uh, at-home video. So he's, uh, he's on both sides as a talent and as a producer. So I, I, I know he's feeling it as everybody in this town is feeling it, uh, but I hope that this thing will get resolved at some point uh, in the not-too-distant future and that we can get the neighborhood episodes uh, back uh, back into into production uh, and uh, start feeding people's families. It's a, it's a tough spot for people, people to be in. I was just reading uh, today, in fact, um, Bill Maher has decided to bring back real time, and he offered his thoughts about he was bringing it back. Drew Barrymore said she was bringing back her daytime show, and they spanked her pretty badly, uh, and she decided to do a U-turn. So they pulled the plug on it after all, not bringing back her daytime show. So everybody has decisions to make in this moment about how they're going to proceed or not proceed 
Uh, but the strike is a worthy strike. I am uh, not a member of the Writers Guild, but I'm certainly a member of SAG. I've been a SAG member for years. And so this is Mrs. My Union, and we're all, uh, again, trying to uh, address these issues uh, that are pressing uh, as we move into the future. And as you mentioned, AI, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a legitimate issue. We talked about AI earlier in today's program. So it's impacting Hollywood as it is the financial sector, which we discussed today, and every other uh, facet of American life. So I appreciate Sergey's comments on the strike. Uh, that said, when we come forward the rest of our time, we'll talk about this book, Flipping Boxcars, and uh, again, some of his other business enterprises. He's a busy brother, but he took an hour out of his schedule today to talk to us on Tavis Month. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like freedom. What is dedication? My biggest fear in the middle of my addiction was that my kids wouldn't have a father. And I started thinking, you know what? This isn't my story. I definitely had to become a better man to be a better father. It's important to me that my kids are empowered and truly believe that if, if they can think it, they can do it. That's dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. So, Cedric, I, I thought I'd save you some time by sharing with the audience uh, minutes ago what the book is about. I just uh, wanted to lay that out so they understand what the backstory is. Uh, but the thing I want you to talk about uh, regarding this new book, Flipping Box Cars, the first novel from any of the kings of comedy, uh, is the ways in which it is an homage to your beloved grandfather. Tell me about the backstory to the book. Yeah, you know, this this story really kind of got motivated. My grandfather, uh, was he had passed long before I was born. And yet my mother and my uncles would tell me stories of him and and how so much of my my swagger and my, you know, kind of hustle resembled him. You know, he was, uh, you know, he was a suit wearer and he wore the hats and he was an entrepreneur with a, you know, with a, with a, a degree of, you know, wanting more out of life. He wanted to, do, you know, do more. He also had that, you know, that, you know, um, that darker side, if you will, if, you know, when, you know, being a, a black man in the 40s where the underworld was a part of his character. So gambling, bootlegging, uh, you know, making deals, you know, he he was one of these kind of people. He was a de facto black mayor, of the, you know, the mayor of the black side of town. So he was a person you called to get things done and, and get favors done. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I took that and really started to imagine what his life was like. And so I just had those few stories, and oftentimes I would just kind of have these uh, machinations about him. And so I, 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 I started to create this little storyline that I was going to develop as a, as a series and then, you know, had the opportunity to write the book and the novel uh, really just felt like more of the place to be able to tell this story. When, when ooh, got a little feedback there. When you um, uh, when you started noodling that story, uh, what made you consider that a novel was the best way to get it out? Well, you know, for me, because I it was only really my uh, images of him. I you know only had a few stories. You know, my my mom had a couple stories she told, and then my uncle had a few stories. So. I had to like kind of really fill in the rest with you know this fictional world like this this 
decide like what the character was doing in a day and what he had on. And so I just took little tidbits and then allowed my imagination to create the rest of the world. So that really led to the novel aspect of it, that it was it was a fictional tale with little dips of truth throughout. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and when you, uh, when, when, you, when you started working with these characters, you started working with these characters, um, t- tell me about, about the ways in which you weaved in the funny. You know, I mean, that's the big thing, you know, being a comedian and you're trying to, you know, take your take a journey on somewhere else is that, you know, I'm like writing jokes throughout the whole thing, like little things that come up, they make me laugh, and I'm like, oh, that'll be funny if he said this, and yet I also, you know, had to, had to learn to be true to the plot mm-hmm. and characters that I was creating, and so then I just was able to weave in senses of humor uh, on which I thought this character was funny, you know, where, you know, dude, you know, would say this, you know, this suit's tight and I ain't got no ballroom, like a, like a, like a small hotel, I ain't got no ballroom, you know, like, these are the kind of jokes that come out of your mind, you know. Yeah, well, well, I, I, when I when I got it, I, I I knew that what that whatever the novel was about, uh, you'd find a way to weave the funny into it, and indeed you did, uh, and and did it quite well. The book is called Flipping Boxcars. Uh, it's a novel by Cedric the Entertainer. Uh, there you have that. When we come forward in our remaining moments, a few other things that Cedric is working on that we'll get to on Tavis Smiley. Yeah, From the Merc Park with love, love, love this love. is Tavis Smiley. Oh! Helping to make you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. All right, Cedric, we talked about, uh, we've had just a great career conversation. And again, can't do justice to your uh, amazing career in an hour. But we've tapped into some of that. We've talked about Flipping Boxcars, the new novel, uh, available wherever books are sold right now. Again, it's called Flipping Boxcars by Cedric the Entertainer, the first novel for any of the kings of comedy. Uh, But Cedric is doing so many other things, including barbecue. Uh, <laughs> talk to me about about the barbecue empire, Sid. Man, man, you know this is something that stemmed uh, a couple years back. Anthony Anderson and I have been great friends many, many years, man. And we got a little golf group. We often go and, and you know and go around to all the kind of top golf courses. And we'll rent houses and chill. And Anthony and I are usually the ones that do the cooking. We'll kind of you know mix up and throw a meal together, whatever. And so. You know, so many people were using their celebrity brands to, you know, sell tequilas and vodkas, and and we were just trying to think of something that was unique and different. And uh, grilling became this thing that we knew was universal. It was worldwide. The idea that you get, you know, them charcoals out on the grill, and people get out and cook, and and then people come together and celebrate and and have a great time. And we just thought, man, what a unique space to be able to own. And and notice there was no real African-Americans in a national way in that space. And so that's what we that's what we elected to do. And so we set out and started AC Barbecue, Anthony and said Barbecue, and that's what we do, man. So we got the rubs in Walmart right now. Uh, we got our sauces coming soon. We're, we got tools that we're doing, spatulas, tongs, gloves, mitts, oven mitts, aprons, all that stuff is coming, as well as uh, in talks to do a couple of uh, restaurants. Uh, including the virtual kitchens where you can order our food on 
you know, Postmates and Uber Eats and all that stuff. Yeah, I love it, man. AC Barbecue, I love it. As your as your career continues to you know to to, to grow and you're doing you know so, so many different things. I said earlier when and this is an idea that you and that you and Anthony came up with. Um, so my question is a little bit different than that. When when people start coming at you as they do with all sorts of things. Um, at this point in your career, how are you deciding what works and what doesn't work, what fits, what doesn't fit, what's right, what's not right? Because I know there's stuff coming at you left and right. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, the you know the, the thing is, is that, you know, of course I've been at this a long time and had a lot, a lot of offers and people try to, you know, do businesses. And I yeah. made those things where you, you invested. I got probably three record labels and, uh, <laughs> you know, I and opened up some chicken spots before. I think I had a grocery store one time. You know, like, it's like, you know, but it really is now about, like, for me, is really qualifying people by uh, the business plan that they're bringing to the table uh, the strategy in which we plan on really uh, executing this this business plan, and and knowing that it's enough money in the company already, mm-hmm. like so, it's not about my money. It's about you know uh, where, how we funding this, why we funding it this way, and knowing that money is essential to building any business. Like you have to, you gotta have a grit, you gotta have a hustle. But, you know, most of our business fail because we're underfunded That's to right. be able to survive the uh, those hard times. You know, those little those little small gaps uh, can kill many businesses. So that's what, you know, those are the things I look for now. Yeah, for small black businesses in particular, undercapitalization is death. It's the kiss of death. You undercapitalize, um, you, you, you're not going to make it. So I, I take your point about that. Let me close by going back to the book, Flipping Box Cars by Cedric the Entertainer, a novel. Um, so has the bug written you? Is this uh this is this is the first novel? Will it be the last? Or are you are you have you have you been have Man. you been bitten? Man, I've been bitten. I love this character, babe. <laughs> you know, I got I've been you know it's one of these things that you know I, I was I really was inspired by the Walter Mosley books. You know, he's one of my favorite writers. Mm-hmm. I love that that ideology. And so when I started to write this book, that was the spirit in which I started to write it. Mm-hmm. And and you know, as I got through it, and of course, once I read the audio book myself, I was, you know I'm the person reading the audio book. Mm-hmm. I felt like man, it, I, I ended the, I end this book with least three cliffhangers. <laughs> so you like, I got him. I I was definitely trying to pull the uh, I pull the I'm pulling the publisher into like, yo, y'all got to give me one more, at least one more. I'm no, a, I don't. I, I, yeah, I don't think this is the last we're gonna hear a babe. This ain't the last we are yeah. going to hear a babe. Uh, the book again is called Flipping Boxcars, a novel written by Cedric the Entertainer. Uh, highly entertaining, uh, highly recommended. Available wherever books are sold. Cedric, I want to close on a personal note by saying thank you to you. Um, we've been uh, at this for a long time. You in your lane, me in my lane. But I've never once asked you or called on you to do anything that you did not do. And I know there are all kind of folk who are trying to get on the list to get you to sit for conversations about your book. Uh, but I'm, I'm deeply uh, appreciative and grateful that you took an hour out to talk to us on Tavis Smiley. So thank you, my friend. I love you. I appreciate you. All right. Always, brother. You know, you want the most solid. I was just listening to the breaks on here. The fact that you've been holding it down for our community and our culture for so long, man. It's very important. You're just one of those, you know, one of those steady voices 
that, you know, uh, give people and keep people informed with real information. And we just, you know, you don't get enough accolades, man. So, you know, I, I just want to say uh, kudos and keep working hard, brother. That's what you do. Love you much. I appreciate you. Flipping Box Cars, a novel by Cedric the Entertainer. That's our program for today. Back here tomorrow, Lord willing to do it all over again. Until then, thanks for tuning in to Tavis Smiley. And as always, keep the faith. <laughs>